Hello, everyone. I'm Bobby Franklin, and welcome back to NVCA's Venture Capital Podcast, where the Owen Capital stands for Capitol Hill, where NVCA advocates for policies that support the U.S. startup ecosystem. In this episode, we're going to focus on cryptocurrency and blockchain. From balance sheets and boardrooms to the auction of digital art pieces, crypto is everywhere. But how much the blockchain will change and challenge the world we live in is still emerging. And the venture industry is at the center of that crypto revolution. To talk about how VCs are investing and impacting crypto is Alka Gupta, venture partner at Fin Capital. Alka is a tech entrepreneur and Fortune 500 executive with deep experience in digital transformation, fintech, marketplaces, and identity. She has operated and built revenue in B2B and B2B2C markets across more than 10 countries in Asia, Europe, and Latin America. Alka is also co-founder and former president and board director at Global ID, a venture-backed, portable, and interoperable identity platform leveraging blockchain. Welcome to the show, Alka. Thanks, Bobby, and thanks for having me. So, Alka, let me ask you, what are the greatest success stories of blockchain? I'd suggest some of the most successful stories have been out of, in fact, that iterative financial services use case, and more specifically, stablecoins. Obviously, we're still very much in the early innings uh, from usage to regulatory and compliance. But certainly, if we think about where blockchain started from the notion of decentralization, faster, better, cheaper transactions, etc., there seems to be significant amount of encouraging use case excitement around stablecoins and what it can do for the digitization of currencies, mainstream currencies for the masses, right? And not just about the fringe use cases around whether it's it's crypto, uh, et cetera. I think stablecoin, specifically the notion of digitization of currencies globally is something that has entered the conversation with larger central banks as to how do they digitize uh, currencies. So I, I think there's a lot of um, optimism there. Certainly, there are other industries like supply chain, healthcare, where there's been a lot of hope and certainly some early success stories, but that has not yet reached kind of what we might refer to as more mainstream. Well, staying on sort of cryptocurrencies for a second, how will the use of cryptocurrencies solve issues within our economy? What folks like you and I in the industry want to invest in is meaningful ways that cryptocurrencies can make people's lives better. So what will it do for our economy today? Um, you know, there's there's perhaps maybe a couple areas I might I might highlight. One is going back to the core of blockchain and, and cryptocurrencies, the notion of decentralization, immutability of information, of data. And so the hope one is that maybe if we get it right, more and more will be comfortable to participate in a kind of what we say in the economy as opposed to kind of under the radar. So the hope is that we get more and more to participate and be comfortable to participate in our national financial economy. I think the second thing is just thinking about the benefits of cryptocurrencies, the real time, the low fees, um, the decentralization, 
All of that allows, if it is regulated appropriately, and if it goes mainstream, there is the ability for instantaneous payments. And if you think about it today, more than half, depending on what data point you look at, call it 64% of our economy, of live of our citizens live day to day, right? Paycheck to paycheck. And so just imagine a world where even one or two days earlier, of paychecks being deposited instantaneously with low friction will make a difference to a large swath of our economy. So I think that's a a second way where I think it can solve issues of instant payments, right? A third thing would be in cross-border, right? A lot of our economy as well today does send funds across the border. We have both funds that are going in and out. But if you think about, as you well know in your highly talked about, the fees and the lag time, again, in that industry are exorbitant and likely affect those who frankly can afford it the least. Um, And so, again, all of these examples that I'm giving are about ways by which you bring in the timeline, you reduce fees, you get folks to be uh, empowered to plan a little bit uh, more, to do a little bit more forward thinking with funds more instantly deposited. I think the last thing in this bucket would be just thinking about the economy that we're in today and the inflation, the supply chain challenges that we're seeing, many would point to cargo containers that are sitting at ports, whether it be for verification of whatever information, some of that being payment. Another problem that that folks say that uh, faster, better, real-time payments in the form of cryptocurrencies could solve for economy could be kind of unbuckling, if you will, or loosening up the timelines with regards to what we're seeing in in supply chain timing and associated inflation. Again, there's many that I'm sure we've not yet even seen, but these are a couple areas where I think if we could get more mainstream adoption safely, where consumers and businesses alike are protected, uh, we could see benefits uh, for the economy as a whole. Well, that sort of leads to another question. As you know, I sit here in Washington and talk to policymakers. So what advice to policymakers here in D.C. would you have to make all that you have just laid out more probable? Yeah, again, there's so many folks working on this and and thinking about this, because the last thing we want is for all of this, again, just to stay on the fringes and and not reach mass adoption. And as you and I have spoken in the past, I believe one of the biggest inhibitors uh, to greater adoption are the safe guardrails and regulatory environment that's required uh, around the space of cryptocurrency and digital assets. Look, there's there's a lots of good regulation that has been put forth, whether it be, and I should say, lots of good bipartisan uh, regulation that's been put forth, right? Whether it be from the Loomis and and Gillibrand's 
Responsible Financial Innovation Act, the RFIA, Kristen Gillibrand from New York, and Cynthia uh, Loomis from Wyoming, both states that have been fairly forward-thinking in this space. There's stablecoin regulation put forth by Boozman from Arkansas, Republican. There's the Pat Toomey regulation, Stablecoin Trust Act. So, So needless to say that there has been a fair amount of activity in this space. And so I am optimistic that we will get there. But I think there's there's a couple things, right? One is, I remember the days when we were doing early regulation for the internet, dare I say. And it harkens back, much of what we're, we're experiencing, right, harkens back to some of the, the early days, whether it was back in 1996 Act of, of Communications Decency, right, some of the initial internet act. And I think the Number one thing coming out of that, that I'd love to remind all that are working on this, is it was an iterative process. We did not get it right initially. We came out with some regulation that, frankly, A, did not, that only scratched the surface, didn't touch on everything that we knew need to be addressed, and quite frankly, didn't touch on a lot of what needed to be addressed eventually because we hadn't even thought of some of those situations. And in an iterative manner, starting from, you know, the mid-90s to where we are today, we have created more and more supportive, consumer-protecting regulation, but it has been iterative. And so I think the first thing is we're not going to get everything right, but we must get something out there to help those that are engaging. And that leads me to kind of the second message what I'd love everybody to remember is that the quicker we get some regulation out there, the more, not the less, the more, I believe, innovation and investment we will see in this space. Obviously, yes, there is concerns around, you know, regulation. I I hear the narrative, right, that regulation stifles innovation, et cetera. But having spoken, having been on both sides, having been one needing to raise funds in this space and having been one that is looking to assess businesses in this space, there is a fear around what if, right, something changes? What if something is suddenly deemed a security? What if, and we need to provide more information. The regulation after the fact is becoming problematic. And so the more we are proactive in defining, again, remember, we can iterate our ways through this as we get more and more data. But I strongly encourage regulation, even initial, sooner rather than later, to encourage and create more entrepreneurship, investment, and an environment of innovation. And so that's kind of a second thing that I, that I just want everybody that's involved to please understand that more will give us more. And I think maybe hearkening back to some of the earlier points that we discussed, I would be remiss if I didn't kind of put a sub bullet in this, which is, yes, we need regulation. And again, by regulation, right, think of these as guardrails, not rewriting everything, but guardrails. And more specifically, um, I'd like to see this in the space of stable coins, uh, again, sooner rather than later. I think all of what we've talked about, 
does need guardrails, but given the potential opportunity with stable coins, given some of what we've seen, uh, the bad and the good, more recently, I think we can make a lot of progress if we're to get some common sense regulation out there in the stable coin space. And again, as I've identified, Washington has already put forth some really good ideas. Alka Gupta, thank you so much for joining us on Venture Capital. Very much appreciate you sharing this perspective. Thanks, Bobby, and uh, thanks, everyone. Great to be here. To talk about how policymakers should view and regulate blockchain technology is Joshua Rivera, General Counsel of Blockchain Capital. Joshua is a legal and regulatory expert on various aspects of the blockchain industry and has extensive experience analyzing the industry's rapid, evolving regulatory landscape. Thanks for joining us today, Joshua. Bobby, thanks so much for having me. It's really good to be here. So Joshua, let me ask you, what do you want people in Washington to understand about blockchain and cryptocurrencies? We've been doing this for me over the last five years. Some people have been doing it for longer. In general, what people hear in uh, Washington around the digital asset space, the crypto space, is probably not a true reflection of the industry, right? What they are uh, usually exposed to are headlines that usually show kind of the worst of the space um, or kind of the major concerns. Those headlines are not inaccurate, right? You know, there's, there's problems in crypto. There's problems in any industry. They're not really representative of what's actually happening in terms of innovation in the space. And so a lot of times when we go to, to Washington and talk to policymakers about the, the industry, we try to let them know that what they are seeing is, is kind of a, a very small fraction of, of what's actually happening in the space. Oftentimes, I think there's, there's some stigma attached to, to people who work in crypto or some, you know, maybe some stereotypes about, you know, young adults or adolescents hanging out in their mom's basement and playing video games and, you know, making crypto projects on the side over the weekend. So I always like to say, look, like I'm here, I'm, you know, I'm an adult, you know, we have, have a real job, you know, we actually do real work and we are backing a lot of entrepreneurs who do lots of different things and come from all different walks of life. But importantly, we have a very real vision for how this space is going to continue to grow. And we do believe it's going to impact the world in really significant ways. I think if you can get regulators and policymakers to lean into the understanding that the innovation here is genuine and, and well-intentioned, then that actually should affect the way they go about making policy for the space, right? Making regulation. And I think too often policymakers are looking at the space as if it is a, an illicit space or a nefarious space. And for sure, there are nefarious actors. There are actors who are not using crypto technologies for illicit purposes, and those actors need to be addressed. And we take a very a, you know, collaborative approach to policymakers and regulators in that, in that sense. There needs to be more of a balance, right? And, and part of our job is to go in and educate help regulators and policymakers understand that there's a vast world of really beneficial innovation that we think is going to better society in really meaningful ways, but it has to be given the opportunity to kind of grow out of these really early stages. Well, that's something we say to policymakers all the time here at NVCA. You want experimentation to happen. You want some of the most interesting new developments and innovation happening in the U.S., and not happening somewhere else. And so when we're talking to policymakers around this subject, we're often talking about how important it is for people that are used to taking risks, entrepreneurs, and people that are used to investing in risk, 
venture capitalists and how important it is to let them do that with addressing the bad actors in the space. Yep. Let, let me ask you this. Do you see the public and private sectors fully adopting blockchain in the near future? Yeah, I mean, near is a is a term that we'd probably have to define for me to kind of answer that question correctly, right? Near future, like understand? You know, <laughs> next, uh, you know, next six months? No, not fully. I mean, we think venture capital is such a critical tool to help uh, innovation in this space because it has a long term focus. All of our funds are are kind of roughly ten year time horizon funds. We have investors who are aligned with that time horizon, who understand that innovation takes time, that wide scale adoption takes time. In kind of 2020, 2021, we hit uh, a really significant marker of having about 100 million holders or users of crypto, which is a really important kind of marker for the history of adoption of the technology. And we've only seen that increase since then. And, And we do believe that, yeah, over the next several years, there's going to be increasing adoption, both on the public and the private side of the technology. Now, this is where it gets really interesting is that governments often don't understand what technology adoption means or what it means for them. How do we been making it better, making it faster, making it more accessible? Big thing in in crypto right now is user interface and, and user experience, which for the most part, has been pretty trash um, up until now. And in order for us to move into the next frontier of user adoption, we really need to work with that, that, that people who are non-technical right, can begin using this technology in the same way that people who are non-technical, who didn't understand what TCP IP was or HT, right, why we needed to use HTTP protocols or you know HTML formatting, any of that, right? Like they were still nonetheless able to utilize internet technology. And so we really need the freedom and the time to have entrepreneurs build out things, try new things, experiment. And that's why you know, venture capital allows them the ability to take chances, to take risks, to create things that will break in, in order that over the, over the long term, we get to discover where there is value. And then once we've kind of perfected these technologies and these applications, then it becomes really easy for us to go to the government broadly and and to society in general and say, here's how you can implement solutions to various problems that you have. And that's really difficult. It's difficult for a policymaker to think about the 10-year time horizon for a technology that has so much kind of chatter about it right now. There's so many people talking about crypto. There's so many, you know, there's, there's all this volatility in crypto markets. There's all this kind of I don't know what it does, but it's like super exciting. And, you know, Elon Musk is tweeting about Dogecoin and Bitcoin's price. You know, yesterday was up above 21,000. 21, Today is below 20,000, right? You just see all these ups and downs. It's really hard for a policymaker to kind of think in the 10-year, right? And to kind of look ahead and speak to their constituents in a way that kind of help their constituents understand that what we're building now is, is for their benefit in the future. We really try to kind of convey that as much as possible. We try to bring examples of companies that we're backing that are helping real life people do things better. They're building systems that are going to facilitate access to finance, financial opportunities and products, a financial ecosystem that's more fair and less exclusionary. We look at kind of all the the individual systems that we are participating in, specifically in the crypto space, right? Historically, we're an infrastructure-focused firm. We love investing in infrastructure. We've done so for the last 10 years. Joshua, how do you talk to policymakers about the difference between blockchain technology 
and a cryptocurrency like Bitcoin? Yeah, so we we really try to emphasize that blockchain technology is a de- decentralizing and disintermediating technology. And that in itself, it's, it's really just a, a database, right? Blockchain technology is a database. But critically, it's not run by any central intermediary. And it is usually open and accessible to anyone. So the innovation there and with blockchain technology is the ability to create systems of value transfer between disparate individuals who don't know each other without engaging an intermediary like a bank or other financial institution. But critically for those ecosystems to work, they need to have natively digital assets, right? You can't utilize a dollar, right, which is not technically a natively digital asset in a completely natively digital ledger ecosystem that's decentralized. And so the cryptocurrencies are representations of value that enable economic activity on top of these decentralized ecosystems. Joshua Rivera, thank you so much for joining us today on Venture Capital and giving us your perspective. As VCs continue to navigate blockchain investments, NVCA is meeting with Capitol Hill leaders and policymakers to ensure the venture industry and their startups have clear rules of the road. Joining us to talk more about the industry's advocacy efforts is NVCA's Vice President of Government Affairs, Charlotte Savarkul. Welcome back to the show, Charlotte. Hi, Bobby. Thank you so much for having me back. So, Charlotte, why don't you help our listeners talk about how NVCA is engaged on blockchain policy? I think this is a really exciting area that MBCA is engaging on. And I think one of the ways that we're viewing ourselves and our voice to a lot of the conversations that are happening on Capitol Hill is that we are coming at these conversations, which are critical to the industry from an investor perspective. And I think voices are growing more and more on Capitol Hill at the agencies about this particular technology But one of the exciting things that we get to provide is the voice that represents the investors who get to see what companies they're already invested in, but also what companies are coming down the road with these opportunities. So we have a a very active working group of blockchain investors. Some of them are solely invested in the blockchain space. Some maybe have a fund devoted to this, and they are very active in helping us understand what are the pain points on the regulatory side? How can we be using our voice effectively up on the Hill to advocate for proper legislation? And we recently had a group of folks come into town to do some in-person meetings up on the Hill, and I think it was very productive and kind of sharing our message that we need proper rules of the road. We need a regulatory framework that is clear to the investors and their companies, but we need those rules of the road to allow for more innovation with these startups. So what do you see proper oversight and regulation looking like? I think how I mentioned it before is this needs to be a clear regulatory framework that investors understand, that companies understand, I think right now where you're seeing a lot of the frustrations coming from is there's a lot of enforcement happening in the space, but no guidance on how, yes, no, how you can move forward from some of these issues. So we need to really work with Congress to ask them to put these rules into place because on the agency side, there's been a lot of challenges and we're looking with working with certain folks on the Hill who are very interested in this. And I think there's conversations that are happening right now, and there will be more conversations happening in the future as well. 
We have seen some legislative proposals put on the table, which is encouraging, but there's a wide range of beliefs on cryptocurrency in Congress. Do you have a perspective on these legislative efforts or any thoughts on how the approach could shift after the midterm elections? Yes, actually, right now, there's been a lot of conversations on the Hill, on the House side in particular, about a bipartisan legislative proposal on stablecoins. And this is something that the ranking member of the House Financial Services Committee, Patrick McHenry, and the chair of the committee, uh, Maxine Waters, have been in conversations about for quite some time. This is an area that I've heard some folks refer to it as the low-hanging fruit, and this is something that should be you know, fairly non-controversial to legislate. I think there's a lot of wide-ranging support over coming to a solution on some of these issues. But this is the first time, you know, that there, there's a big bill that could be passed on these new technologies. So I think there's a lot of uh, focus on it, making sure it's right. There are a lot of opinions out there. So that's something that we could see pick up over the last several weeks before the end of the year. But looking ahead to the next Congress, I think there will be an opportunity for more comprehensive conversations about how the blockchain sector can be regulated uh, by legislation. And I think if the midterms happen and Republicans take control of the House, we should see the ranking member McHenry take over as chair potentially and become an even more influential voice in this space. And he's been a great champion. So I think you could see more of an interest in doing a broader market structure bill which would be definitely something NBCA would be engaging on. But one of the points that we heard in our meetings recently was this really isn't a partisan issue. It shouldn't be partisan conversations. You see champions on both sides of the aisle. And I think that's what's really exciting here is the opportunity and the technology that there are a lot of different kinds of policymakers who want to make sure we get this right and recognize the opportunity in the technology. So I think hopefully we'll be advocating for a bipartisan approach to this and have a lot of folks come to the table and hopefully we can be a helpful voice in those conversations. Well, you've just given a bit of a preview, but anything else about how NVCA will be engaging in these efforts going forward? Absolutely. So I think These meetings that we recently had were were a good place for us to start. I think as we see these conversations kind of accelerate over the next several months, um, hopefully they will be, we will be there at the table to help provide feedback on specific legislative texts and how folks are thinking about definitions in these types of bills. I think another helpful way that we can contribute to these conversations are providing education. And like we talked about earlier, we really have this unique investor voice and perspective that we can provide to folks on the Hill. And I think this is a challenge for us that a lot of people don't understand this. So kind of boiling it down to the nuts and bolts and and making sure folks understand why we're talking about what we're talking about and why we do need some regulatory certainty. Another area that I think we will be able to provide some help for our members is is on the uh, operational side. And These are conversations that have to do with various operational guidance, such as accounting, and we are having conversations with those folks as well. We have a conference coming up for our CFOs and COOs, and this is likely to be a topic of discussion to help provide some shared best practices among those folks. So we're, we're looking forward to that and also kind of keeping up the steam for next Congress. Well, Charlotte, thank you so much for joining us. You know, it's a reminder to all our listeners, if you are a blockchain investor and you're not part of the NVCA Blockchain Working Group, you need to get in touch with us. And if you have thoughts on what we should be doing with policymakers in this space, 
We're always here to help take those calls, answer those questions, and translate what's happening in the industry to policymakers here in Washington. Charlotte Savercool, Vice President of Government Affairs for NVCA, thank you so much for joining us today on Venture Capital. Thanks for having me, Bobby. Now, before we leave you, here's another fun fact. Did you know that not all animals at the White House have been pets? During World War I, Woodrow Wilson bought a flock of sheep to graze on the White House lawn. Not only did it save the manpower needed for mowing the lawn, they also sold the wool to raise money for the Red Cross. Again, thank you for listening to Venture Capital, a podcast brought to you by NVCA. Hope you enjoyed the show because investing in tomorrow starts with smart policies today. I'm your host, Bobby Franklin, wishing good days ahead. Bye for now.